Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Barry, and Succession will conclude this month, and it's not easy to end a TV series. You have to wrap up the story, leave the characters somewhere satisfying, give the fans what they want up to a point. It's a lot to balance, but sometimes a show will get it just right. So we decided to debate what is the greatest TV finale of all time. I'm Linda Holmes. Today we're talking about the best series finales on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Be My Guest with Ina Garten, a podcast from Food Network. Intimate and captivating conversations with new and old friends. Jennifer Garner, Frank Bruni, Emily Mortimer, and more. Listen to Be My Guest wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the official Hacks podcast from Max. Join the creators and showrunners of Hacks as they discuss each episode and speak with the cast and crew about the making of the series. Listen to the official Hacks podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mattress Firm. How do you sleep at night? No matter what might be keeping you up, Mattress Firm can help anyone sleep. Mattress Firm will find you the right mattress from a wide selection of top brands at every budget. Plus, if you see a lower price somewhere else, they'll match it up to 120 nights with their low price guarantee. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale and sleep at night. Restrictions apply. See mattressfirm.com or store for details. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me today are my fellow pop culture happy hour hosts, Aisha Harris. Hi, Aisha. Don't stop believe. <laughs> hey. Oh, Glenn Weldon. Hello, Glenn. Aisha took mine. I wasn't going to sing it, but I was going to say it. Hey, Linda. All right. And Stephen Thompson. Hi, Stephen. Hello, Linda. All right. Well, all of us know what a series finale is. The only thing I will say is that obviously we're going to spoil a few endings. So if you mm-hmm. hear us talking about one that you don't want to hear the end of, I mean, you know that. All right, we are going to start with Aisha. Aisha, what is your pick? So this was a tough one to come up with. Uh, I had to kind of figure out what my criteria was going to be and and what has most satisfied me at the end of shows that I've spent many years, in many cases, watching. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I set up a couple of ground rules. The first is that The show had to be consistently good from start to finish, so the ending actually feels earned. So no really bad gas leak seasons, as in, you know, community. (laughs) So that was not going to be in the contention for me. It also must feel like there's some closure and some answer to some of the important questions, but not necessarily all of them. I don't need every single loose end tied up. There has to be some sort of satisfaction there. And then I also feel like it has to stay overall true to the characters' journeys, so no guy or sudden undoings of the things that have been the show has been working toward, which is why How I Met Your Mother, oof, <laughs> one of the worst of all time. 
So I came down to a couple of picks and I finally landed upon a show that I've only watched from beginning to end once, but has stuck with me even a few years later and is something I will definitely go back and rewatch at some point, which is The Americans, the very slow burn FX series about a couple of KGB agents who are living undercover in Virginia. Matthew Reese and Carrie Russell play Philip and Elizabeth Jennings. You know, they have that on the surface, perfect, idyllic suburban life in the 80s. But they are, of course, undercover spies. This show it was just such a pot boiler. And while the premise itself sounds very, you know, could be James Bondy and it could be all these like action thrillers, a lot of things happening. The show was never about that. It was about these relationships. It was about this couple who were recruited at young ages and assigned to marry each other. There are times when you wonder, do they really love each other? Have they grown to love each other? And I think that season six, when it begins, they're at a crossroads. And season six really builds up to the series finale. I won't give all the details, but basically, Basically, Philip has become disillusioned with being in the KGB and has more or less left it behind and is now working full time at their <laughs> travel agency. It's like, uh-huh. what a weird thing. You're always going off and doing jobs in the middle of the night because you work at a travel agency. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, Elizabeth is training their daughter, Paige, who is a teenager and has is now like fully into it and wants to also become an agent. What I love about the finale is that it has everything that we've loved about the rest of the series. It takes its time. And this was a show that always took its time. And there is an 11-minute sequence where they are confronted by Stan Beeman, who was an FBI agent who lived right next door to them. They become really good friends, but Stan has finally figured it out, and he confronts them at gunpoint. And the scene is just heartbreaking. And I want to just play a little brief moment here where Stan just kind of breaks down. You made my life a joke. You were my only friend in my in my whole life. For all these years, my life was the joke, not yours. First of all, you can just hear the way he says you made my life a joke. And after six seasons, you know that he feels that way. He feels completely duped. And then the rest of the scene is Philip and Elizabeth kind of alternating between BSing Stan and not being truthful about what they were doing. And the way that tension is played is just so, like, absolutely perfect. Like, one of the greatest scenes of all time. And it ends with, like, this planting of a seed that Stan's wife, Renee, might be one of them. Mm-hmm. And there's just all these other moments, like, whether it's Philip saying we need to leave Henry, our other son, behind because he knows nothing about any of this and he has a chance to live a normal life. And Elizabeth lets off this, like, gasp slash guffaw that just there's just so much inside that little noise that she makes and and shows how unlike philip she has always been sort of the more detached and cool personality who was able to separate her morals from what her job was which is to kill a lot of people and and service of the kgb there's a moment where we have with or without you playing by you too and Paige gets off the train she's supposed to be going with them to leave the u.s And as soon as Elizabeth notices it, at that same exact moment, you hear Bono go, and it's just like, (laughs) it is so dramatic. It's like maybe a little more on the nose than the Americans usually is, but it's such a gut punch. It's not just a great ending, but it's also probably one of the best episodes of the entire series. Mm -hmm. So when you can put it in your probably top five of that show itself, to me, that's what makes it such a great series finale. So that's my pick, The Americans. And after rewatching this episode again, I am so excited to go back and rewatch it all from the beginning because 
Oh, my goodness. One of the greatest shows. I love it. Aisha, this was my first pick. You got to it first, and that's fair. But man, everything you said was exactly correct. This was a slow burn series. You were expecting this finale to be explosive. It wasn't. It was all internal combustion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nobody dies. And again and again, we've seen this system chew up characters that we love, that we don't know. Both sides on this struggle are playing with human connections, exploiting human connections like love and lust and friendship as they as we heard in that clip and both sides are willing to destroy people to keep going which is why that moment when Paige steps off the train is so wrenching because it's something she chooses Mm -hmm. it's a choice that none of these characters have had have been able to avail themselves of and that's why it is literally you gasp when you see that yeah Bono or not (laughs) (laughs) I know that is an exceptionally good series finale thank you very much Glenn so what did you pick as your favorite series finale, other than The Americans, of course. (laughs) I mean, The Americans, but, uh, you know, this is so stupidly, annoyingly subjective, and that always makes me anxious, so I'm trying to approach this with my objective rigor or some ruthless precision, some big science. Oh, come on. I'm going to apply a template. I'm going to fashion a rubric. And turns out I didn't have to because it's already made. We've talked about this before on the show. The ideal finale is, the word you mentioned in your intro, Linda, satisfying. And turns out there's a mathematical formula for narrative satisfaction that is surprising plus inevitable equals satisfying. And that might sound like they're across purposes, but they really aren't because surprising means in the moment. You didn't see it coming. Inevitable, because the second you step away, the second you reflect, you go, oh, they've been building to this, they've laid the track, they've honored the work that they've put in, but I could never have guessed it. But my choice here is Newhart. Yes. Uh, I was wondering if someone was going to pick that. This sitcom ran on CBS from 1982 to 1990. Bob Newhart, legendary comedian, uh, whose series before that, The Bob Newhart Show, had run on CBS from 1972 to 1978. In that first series, he had played Bob Hartley, a Chicago psychologist. And in the newer one, the 80s one, he played Dick Loudon, a really kind of dull as dishwater how-to author and owner of an inn in Vermont, surrounded by a lot of quirky, kooky local townsfolk. The reason this finale is considered iconic is because of its use of the medium of television and how it plays to the audience in a way that hadn't really been done before. It's been done a lot since, but at that time it hadn't been done before. So here's what happens. After eight seasons, Newhart ends with him waking up on the set of the old Bob Newhart show. He is back in the Chicago apartment. He's sharing a bed with Suzanne Plachette, who played Bob Hartley's wife, Emily, on that old Bob Newhart show. And he tells her he had this weird dream where he ran an inn in a very quirky Vermont town. And now evidently to film this, they had kept the secret from the audience and from a lot of the crew. So when the lights come up and the Newhart audience is sitting in those seats and they see the Bob Newhart show set, you get a little bit of laughter. Honey. And then you get applause. Honey, honey, wake up. You... You won't believe the dream I just had. Now, if you're sitting it from the outside, if you had never seen the Bob Newhart show, what's happening is this audience is applauding light fixtures. (laughs) They're applauding wallpaper, a bookshelf headboard. But of course, they're not applauding that. They're applauding themselves for recognizing it. They are applauding the show for making a twist. But the laughter that starts as soon as you see the set has this very weird but very quick build. It's not explosive. It's... Confusion, recognition, realization, and then, frankly, self-congratulation. It is the very definition of meta. Seconds later, when they realize that Suzanne Plachette is there too, 
she gets the explosive thing. She gets 15-second ovation all to herself, which is nice. All right, Bob. What is it? Because that's the moment, right, when it all does really come together and people are going, oh, I see. I get it now. But the thing is, that's what people remember. It is so big and so clever that that last minute and a half overshadows not just the finale episode, but I would say eight seasons of show before that. Absolutely. Yeah, I only know that show through that finale, which I've still never seen from beginning. <laughs> like, I've never <laughs> even seen the finale episode full from beginning to end. No, and I, 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 I saw it. I watch it every week. And still, that's what I think of when I think of that show, which is why when you go big like that in the finale with a big, clever twist like that, it's tricky. Mm-hmm. See also St. Elsewhere colon snow globe. Right. So I did my due diligence and I went back and watched the full finale episode. And I'm here to tell you that uh, posterity is right. Those last few minutes are why this is iconic, because the full episode of it is a thing very much of its time. The plot is that a Japanese tycoon buys the town and turns it into a golf course, but Dick won't sell. So there's a flash forward where the inn that Dick owns now caters to a Japanese clientele with Japanese staff, and there are some really cheap jokes. Please understand, I am not sitting here in the year 2023 looking back at a product of 1990 and going, hmm, problematic. That's not what this is about. I'm saying the jokes in question, these specific jokes are cheap and lazy. They were hack then, they're hack now. But Newhart started out as a very straight-down-the-middle three-camera sitcom that featured everything we love about Bob Newhart, the stammer and the slow burn and the dullness. He's the straight guy surrounded by kooky characters. Watched it every week, loved it. But the reason those last two minutes work is because as the show went on, a lot of the traditional sitcom stuff kind of fell away. The show got weirder and more surreal. The local characters got bigger and broader. The plots got sillier, more absurd. And towards the end, especially in that final season, the show had taken on a kind of dreamlike quality itself. Very playful very meta, which is how it manages to be surprising. You heard the surprising in that audience reaction and inevitable because you heard it in the laughter, that very knowing laughter. That That's why that is the most iconic series finale of all time. I think that's a reasonable argument. I mean, I think you're absolutely right that there's something to be said for a series finale that is essentially the show's entire reputation. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go so far as to say that about St. Elsewhere, but certainly it is a big part of St. Elsewhere's legacy as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I I would buy that. And I think you're right that it started off as a very down the middle sitcom. So this makes sense to me. Yes. All right. Stephen Thompson, what is your pick for best series finale? Well, I like all the criteria that have been laid out thus far. And I would sort of say that the criteria that I took into this process was favorite, degree of difficulty, <laughs> okay. payoff of the world building, true to the overall story, and a true ending. I love I love a true ending. I don't necessarily want my favorite shows to be rebooted if they end on that perfectly satisfying note. And the one I picked is fairly recent, January 2020, The Good Place. Ah. It's one of my favorite shows of all time, not just of recent years. An extremely thematically ambitious, warm, and constantly surprising comedy that is really contained. It is not a show that ever stops to rest, so you have to watch it in chronological order. And this finale manages to pay off every character on this show while also fitting into the idea of what would an ethically constructed afterlife look like. The degree of difficulty in doing that, while still being exquisitely funny 
and really deeply melancholy is an unbelievably heavy lift. If you have not seen The Good Place, first of all, don't let me spoil it. Go and watch all four seasons uh, right now. But the the show, for for those who need a recap, I guess, Kristen Bell, William Jackson Harper, Jamila Jamil, Manny Jacinto are four people who have died and they have been put through a series of afterlife experiences controlled by a demon played by Ted Danson. By the time you get to the finale, the show has resolved that all of these people are living happily ever after in paradise. And they've even in a preceding episode, sorted out that one of the central problems with a perfect paradise-based afterlife is that because it never ends, you're just drifting off and, like, existence becomes meaningless. And so they've established, leading into this finale, that there is a way for you to walk through a portal and end your afterlife, which is a really heady concept and one that doesn't necessarily track as a happy ending. In this finale, it is wrapping up the afterlives of these four people. And they don't all decide to walk through the door, but several do. And it handles it in a way that feels so true to these characters, allows you to gather up just the sheer depth and breadth of their afterlife experiences while still establishing that part of what is giving meaning is that they have reached a satisfying end to their existence. And so it is a really philosophically rich story, but it's still along the way grappling with conflict within that. Chidi and Eleanor are in love in the afterlife, and Chidi wants to leave it before Eleanor does. And how they sort that out and the conversation that they have over one of the most beautiful needle drops, Spiegel im Spiegel by Arvo Pert is the needle drop for the scene in which Chidi kind of explains to Eleanor some of the meaning behind it all. There's one conception of death for a Buddhist. The wave returns to the ocean. Where it came from. And where it's supposed to be. It is very hard to talk about this without crying. It is even harder to watch it without crying. It's written by Michael Shore with such compassion for these characters, such deep interest in the material, interest in the story. I went into that finale thinking, there is no possible way for this show to stick the landing as hard as I want it to. They've been pondering the meaning of existence in the universe. And how do you wrap that up in a satisfying way? This finale does that. My favorite ending to one of my very favorite TV shows of all time. I'm so glad someone mentioned it. (laughs) Because it (laughs) it really is. Like you, I was also very, very skeptical about how it would end. And, ooh, man, it feels great, but also sad. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. It is exactly that. And I salute you, Stephen, for getting through it. I thought we were going to lose you there in the middle, but you know, you did great. You did great, buddy. I definitely thought about picking that. I thought about picking Parks and Rec, which I didn't pick because I thought Stephen was going to pick The Good Place and I didn't want to pick Parks and Rec. What I chose could not be a harder turn from the finale of The Good Place, 
in that it is sort of the anti the finale of The Good Place, I chose the finale of Veep. Ah. You know, it's funny. I do not always feel like I am the natural audience for Veep. It is so incredibly acidic. It is so incredibly gnarly and vulgar. (laughs) I do not always love the sort of competition to say the most offensive, vulgar, terrible thing. There are times when that wears on me. There are times when I think it tips over into actually laughing at the offensive joke and not just laughing at the idea of making the offensive joke. With that said, you know, if you didn't watch it, Julia Louis-Dreyfus plays the vice president of the United States. She is an incredibly craven, awful person surrounded by other craven, awful people who are her staff. You follow her over several seasons as she tries to escape this terrible existence as the vice president. A bunch of different twists and turns take her to a point where in the finale, she is uh, at the convention trying to get the nomination for president. And she is in this power squabble. It involves Hugh Laurie. It involves her core staffers, including, you know, well, former guy Timothy Simons, who at this point is a congressman and also trying to become president. (laughs) And, you know, this whole entire crowd of folks. And she goes through this terrible trial because she's trying to be nominated while there's an incredible scandal brewing off to the side. And you keep thinking, is this scandal going to get her? Do I want her to become president? Like, what is the satisfying finale here? I find that in finales, 98% of the time, a show will warm itself up 15 degrees in the finale, at least. Mm. It will give itself a little bit more of like, in the end, everybody loved each other and was friends, right? That is not what this show does remotely at all. They put their foot on the accelerator to hell because what happens in this finale, and again, if you have not seen it, be warned, her faithful aide this entire time is Gary, played by Tony Hale, who carries her bag. All he wants to do is please her and help her. He's given his life to her. All she does is abuse him and he still loves her. And there have been these like very, very tiny moments where they've allowed her to be kind to him for 10 seconds and then she always immediately is horrible to him. But it's this very like abusive employment relationship. And what she does is she sets him up to take the fall for her scandal. And the last thing you see of him in that part of the story He's being dragged away by the FBI because she has set him up. It is the most vicious, awful, monstrous thing she's done in the entire show. And they simply refuse to change who she is in the finale. Then they go 20 plus years later, her funeral, where, you know, you get to see what has kind of become of all the people. And in a way, it does give you a little bit of that typical satisfying finale where you kind of get to see, like, many years later, here's what happened. Uh You know, some of it is what you would expect. Her staffers have turned into middle-aged jerks instead of youngish jerks. Her her daughter is watching her funeral on television and serving margaritas. (laughs) (laughs) But then... At the very end, they show that Gary, who is presumably now out of whatever legal trouble she got him into, he looks terrible. But at the very end of her funeral, he comes up to her casket and says, You'd hate the flowers, but I 
I brought the Dubonnet. <laughs> Which is exactly the kind of thing he always worried about for her. You would hate the flowers. But he brought her favorite lipstick and he puts it on top of the casket. In a way, you can find a note of warmth in it that she didn't make him not decent, right? Yeah. He yeah. stayed the person that he was. But it's a terrible, terrible, monstrous thing that she's done to him. And he has suffered whatever consequences. Then they go through a wonderful little visual joke about her crypt, which I cannot describe to you on this family show. <laughs> but it's very funny. And then the very last thing that it does is it circles back to a joke from very early in the show where her funeral is upstaged by Tom Hanks dying, which is a joke <laughs> that they made way back at the beginning of the show. I find this finale irresistible because of all the things that it refuses to do. It refuses to make warmth and love the ending because it wouldn't be the right ending for this show. This show, you got to keep everybody horrible until the last minute because that's the origins of this show. And for that ice cold bravery, I chose Veep. <laughs> Excellent choice. A show with a courage of its convictions stuck to it. It did warm up from Kelvin Zero. <laughs> to Kelvin, 0.15. And I, I am here for it. I love that ending. There was definitely a time when part of closing up, I think particularly a sitcom, was that you had to sort of like get everybody out of the house or at yes. least like consider getting everybody yeah. out of the house. It didn't always actually happen, but like, were they going to move out of the house and who's the boss? Were they going to move <sighs> out of the house in Growing Pains? Were mm -hmm. they going to move out of the house in Fresh Prince? You know, was Sam going to leave the bar on right. Cheers? It was uh -huh. almost like the yeah. idea of whether the person would stay in the place was kind of the idea of what the finale was. And they would go a couple different ways. By the way, Cheers, I think, also has a super interesting yes. and interestingly brave finale. Agree. And if you love any of the things we didn't pick, please understand, we also probably love your show. We just could only <laughs> pick one thing. And that means... We want to know what you think are the best series finales. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. We want to take a minute to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. If you haven't signed up yet, you want to show your support, and you want to listen to this show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. That brings us to the end of our show. This is always such an enormous pleasure. Stephen Thompson, Glenn Weldon, Aisha Harris, thanks to all of you for being with me, buddies. Thank thanks, you. Linda. Thank you. And of course, thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This episode was produced by Mike Katzif and Ramel Wood and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Support for NPR and the following message come from Bombas. Bombas makes absurdly soft socks, underwear, and T-shirts. And for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash NPR and use code NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure. OCI is the platform for database, application development, and AI needs. Do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic. Take a free test drive at oracle.com slash NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? 
Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research, on, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR.